Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Okay. Today's reading is taken from Psalm 1, verses 1 to 6. At the end of the reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and we shall respond. Thanks be to God. Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night? That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment not sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Verse 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we've sung powerfully, Lord, about the ancient words that bring us life. The ancient words, O God, that give us hope. The ancient words, Lord, that resurrect, Lord, our dead hearts. We ask, O God, that you come to us this morning with power, with grace, O God, and enable us to hear you and to follow you in Jesus' name. I'd like to... um, Welcome those who are with us here for the first time. I know it's a bit cold, so um, I'm extending our warm city church welcome to you. Um, You might be wondering where the warmth is. Don't worry, we'll catch up with you very soon. Um, So we are starting a new series on prayer, and we call the Prayers of the Saints. Um, If you've uh, been here for a while, maybe you've checked us out online, you'll notice that prayer is one of the seven emphases that we are hoping as a church to um, build upon. So from time to time, we'll gather as a church to pray together, um, which we did about two weeks ago um, at our last day of lament. We prayed for our country, prayed for the things that were happening. But also, mostly, we'll gather in our small groups, which we call our gospel communities, to pray together. Um, One of the things we really believe is like, as the Bible says in Romans 8.15, that God gives us a spirit of adoption as sons to cry out, Abba, Father, that one of the ways we prove that we're actually children of God is by praying and what we do in prayer. And so, as I was just thinking about that this past week, it really struck me again, and I was convicted that to say 
there is such a thing as a prayerless Christian is an oxymoron, which really means that such a thing is a contradiction. There is nothing like a prayerless Christian. Now, does this mean that there are people who don't describe themselves like that? Certainly, there are people who describe themselves that way. And maybe you are also someone who would say you are a prayerless Christian, but you know, we should stop and think that if truly we know God like we say we do, and we are not constantly calling out to him and crying out to him and uttering prayers to him, it is very much in doubt that we know God. And so over the next few weeks, we'll be considering several passages from the book of Psalms that show us how to pray, what to pray, and um, to challenge us. What could God do if we prayed more biblically? What could God do if we prayed more earnestly? And that will be the challenge before us over the next few weeks, and I hope that you would um, join us along on this journey. Today we are going to be looking at Psalm 1, and we called it the prayer of the counselor. Now you might be wondering whether Psalm 1 is a prayer, and on the face of it, it doesn't um, you know, initially appear that way, but as we go on, you'd see why it's a prayer. Um, the word blessed or blessing has fallen on hard times. And what I mean by that is that everybody now uses blessing, blessed, in whichever way they like. So um, if you've been a Christian for a while or you're in a Christian subculture, you'd, you know, maybe someone is walking, bless you, brother, bless you, sister, you are blessed, all those kinds of things. Um, and so I checked online and I found out that there are about 95 million Instagram posts with the hashtag blessed. Now, maybe you or yourself have taken a picture where, you know, maybe it was your car or it was a borrow post car, <laughs> and you just stay there, put your hand on the bonnet, you know, I'm blessed. And so, blessed is a word that has lost its meaning. Right? Someone, someone actually posted that she considers herself blessed because she's been a lifelong fan um, of Juventus. And now that C. Ronaldo has left Real Madrid to Juventus, she is really blessed. There's another person who took a picture of herself, you know, um, overlooking a beach with a really lovely breakfast. I said, this is definitely a blessed Sunday. And so the psalmist challenges us this morning. What is blessing? What is true blessing? Is blessing just a word that we, we come up with, or is blessing something that has a deeper meaning to it? And so this morning, we'll be looking at Psalm 1 under three headings. One, true blessing is delighting in God's law. We see that in verses 1 to 2. True blessing is being immovably fixed and fruitful. We see that in verses 3 to 4. And true blessing is having God's approval. We see that in verses 5 to 6. So let's start. Number one, true blessing is delighting in God's law. We see in verses 1 to 2, Blessed is the one who walks not in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. You see, the psalmist starts us off by showing us that there are essentially two paths, not three, not four, not a gray middle in between, but two paths. 
Essentially, you can delight in God or you can be a mocker. Now, all through the psalm, we see that he uses about three words, mockers, sinners, the wicked. And he's not talking about three different groups of people. He's actually talking about one group of people who might do different things, but essentially are all the same um, in category. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while or you've been around Christian spaces for a while, you may have heard this interpretation of verses 1 to 2 that this person who is called the wicked initially starts by walking in the counsel of the ungodly. Then he now gets to a place where he's standing and finally he's sitting. And so the theory goes that if you spend too much time with ungodly people, you will not progress in life. You are going to be someone who eventually gets stuck on the same spot and you will not make progress. Now, I do agree that there is a way in which, you know, we can actually see that by working in sin or practicing more sin, a person doesn't make progress. But the problem with this interpretation is that if this is all there is to see in this verse, there are people who would go scot-free. So take, for example, someone who is a drug addict or someone who is, who is friends with, with drug, druggies. And there's a guy, maybe he's a rebellious teenager or a young person, don't work with these people. You are going to be a drug addict. You are going to be this and that, and the person doesn't heed. Of course, that person is going to eventually not make progress. But what happens to the person who is proudful and arrogant at work and is constantly climbing up the career ladder, the, the, the corporate ladder at work? Does this mean that this person is not, you know, working in the council of the ungodly? So this is not just what there is to see in this verse, you know. Um, it's like going to a doctor and then you tell the doctor that this is the disease or the sickness I have and all the doctor does is just treat the symptoms. If we constantly look at this passage in terms of its effects, we're not going to get at the root cause of what the psalmist is telling us this morning. So I think the better way to look at, at this verse or these verses is in terms of its causes. Why is one person described as blessed? And why is the other person described as wicked? And we see it by just reading the first description in verses 1 to 2 of, of the blessed. Blessed is the man, so I'm, I'm reading it now. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on this law he meditates day and night. You see, there are actually two counsels at play here. There's the counsel of the wicked, and then there is the law of God. What causes one to be blessed and what causes the other to be described as wicked is found in answering the question, what motivates your heart? What provokes the delight of your heart? Again, like I said, the psalmist doesn't leave us with a choice. He doesn't, he doesn't tell us that there is an in-between. He shows us that you are either delighted by the law of God or you are delighted by the counsel of the wicked. Again, he doesn't leave us to just wonder what it means to delight. He shows us again in verses 1b and 2b. So I'll take, I'll take them differently. He talks about the wicked. He says, this person is wicked because he walks in the counsel of the wicked. He stands in the way of sinners and he sits in the seats or in the company of mockers. 
And then the other person is blessed because he meditates on God's law day and night. You see, we often think of delight in terms of what we feel when we are taking ice cream. Or if we are in the company of someone we love, maybe the someone you have a crush on someone and the room is full like this, and all you can think about or see is the person you are delighting in. And so you, you see why a guy who doesn't have money will borrow somebody's car and beg for money and borrow clothes to impress his girlfriend because he delights in her. Or why a drug addict will borrow and beg for money to purchase the next high of cocaine because they delight in that experience. Brothers and sisters, delight is not just having affections. Delight is having actions that correspond with your affections. And so the counselor is telling us this morning that just as people say, follow the money, he's saying, follow the actions, and you see what is truly the delight of your life. True blessing is not just in professing that we love God or that we delight in God or that we love the things of God. True blessing is actually having actions that correspond with the things that we say we love to do. And so the psalmist says that to truly delight in God, you must meditate on his law day and night. Now, day and night is not talking about two different categories of time. It's talking about every time. It's, it's a description representing every time. And so we think of meditation usually in terms of, hmm, I'm just thinking, just thinking, just thinking. But the psalmist actually shows us that meditation is something that has actions tied to it. It is seeking to understand God's word in order to apply it to our lives. And so we see in Joshua 1 verse 8, Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything in it. So we see again, there's a link between understanding and application. Again, in Psalm 119, verse 97 to 100, the psalmist says again, Oh, how I love your law. And he doesn't just stop there. He says, I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me, and they make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers because I meditate on your statutes. There is no true blessing unless it is accompanied by actions that seek to understand and apply God's word to our lives. And so let's test ourselves. When we say that we love God's word, when we say that we, we delight in God's word, when we recite all these memory verses and we come together like this and we say we love church, are we just talking about the emotional high that we feel? Or are we talking about the fact that we have actions that correspond with the affections that we say we have? Are we delighting in the counsel of God or are we delighting in the fact that, you know, we have all these material possessions that people say, oh, this guy is truly blessed. Are we delighted in the fact that we take a picture with our feet farm family and everybody is doing very well, everybody is climbing up the corporate ladder, 
or are we actually people who are blessed because we delight in the law of God and God has worked his work so mightily upon our hearts that we are applying his word to our everyday lives. The psalmist says, true blessing is found in delighting in God's law. But then he doesn't just stop there. He shows us again in verses 3 to 4 that true blessing is found in being immovably fixed and fruitful. And so verses 3 to 4 tell us, this blessed person, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, but not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Here we are shown a picture of what, you know, true blessing looks like. Now, um, Port Harcourt, there's a reason why Port Harcourt is called or used to be called the Garden City, right? There's a reason why Obudu Mountain Resort is in Calabar, not in some other places in the country. It is essentially because these places are close to riverine areas. And the fact that they are close to a water source has led them to be fruitful and to flourish. The leaves are always green. They're always very attractive. They have tourists and all of that. They have events. But if you are driving up north, what do you see? First, you, you begin to see that by the time you are crossing, you know, um, Kwara State, Niger State, and going all the way up, begin to see that you're having more space between places. You're seeing more brown earth, and then you're seeing little shrubs here and there. Why? One place is close to the water. The other place isn't close to the water. The water has led to the flourishing of one place, but lack of water in another place has led to its, well, being the way it is. And so the psalmist presents us with this picture this morning, that a person who is delighting in the law of God is like a person who is staying by the riverside, a person who is connected to a water source. The person is always flourishing. The person is always fruitful and attractive to look at. The person is always blooming, as it were. Now, we need to pay close attention again to the fact that the psalmist doesn't just use any illustration. He picks carefully what he uses. He says the person is like a tree. Doesn't use any other thing. He doesn't use any other living thing. He doesn't even use an animal in this context. Later on in Psalm 42, as we'll see as we go along in the series, the psalmist uses an animal to depict thirst. But in this place, he's using a tree to show something that fruitfulness comes when you are immovably fixed to a water source. To be planted is that you are not just going up and down. You are not walking to different places. You are not dabbling in and then going out. You are staying there because you recognize that this is my source. This is my life. If I leave this place, I'm going to die. No wonder the psalmist says that in everything the person does, everything the person does, the person prospers. Now, prosperity, again, just like blessing, is a word that, you know, um, has now, you know, been abused. Um, and essentially, it has just come to mean that you just have a lot of money and you have a lot of material things. But if you follow along in the Bible, the Bible doesn't define prosperity in this regard. In fact, we find in the Bible that there are many 
quote-unquote, materially wealthy people who God did not describe as prosperous, or at least were not prosperous in God's eyes. There were many wicked people, many evil people who were materially wealthy. So the psalmist is not talking here about just having money or having material things or having a lot of the things of the world. Um, we find again, by the time we get to the New Testament, in Romans 8, that sometimes prospering in the eyes of God is that the person is actually facing persecution. It says we are being killed all day long. People are suffering. People are experiencing evil things. And yet God calls them blessed. So, so prosperity is not just a word that refers to being materially wealthy. Again, to understand it, we have to look to verse 4. Let's read that. Let's look at it together. The psalmist says, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Now, the image here is one of winnowing. Growing up, one of the things I hated to do the most was picking beans. <laughs> I still hate to pick beans. But if I have to pick beans, what I love, the best part for me about picking beans is the winnowing part. Because I, I just feel I'm not doing anything. I'm just throwing up the beans and allowing the wind to, to do stuff. But when you are winnowing beans, what happens? You throw up, if you, if you spread it out on a tray, you throw up the beans and the chaff is blown away by the wind. The psalmist says that in the same way that the wicked are like the chaff of the beans that is blown away when, it's when time comes to sift. And why is it that one, one category of people are blown away by the wind, another category of people are not blown away by the wind? It is because one set is immovably, immovably fixed to their source. The other set isn't. And so we have to ask ourselves, where is our location? And I'm not just talking about where we are sitting or what church we are going or where we are affiliated to, but in terms of being connected to God, are we immovably fixed to God? Or are we like people who just come and dabble in and dabble out every now and then? Do we just go there when we feel like, man, I need God. I'm like, I need God for this contract to come through. Or are we always in the presence of God? Are we always with God regardless of what things are going on in our life? In Ezekiel chapter 17, verse 9 to 10, Ezekiel says, Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Will it thrive? Will it not be uprooted and stripped of its fruit so that it withers? It has been planted, but will it thrive? Will it not wither completely when the east wind strikes it? Wither away in the plot where it grew? Again, we see that in this passage, Ezekiel is talking about two different categories of people and comparing them to a plant that is blown away by the wind because it neglected its source. And in the same way, just like the psalmist is speaking to us this morning, that when we recognize the fact that God alone is our source, when we are connected immovably to God, things in the world don't just move us and blow us away. We are not like the wicked who are blown away like chaff that the wind drives away. Again, using that illustration of the chaff and the beans, you see that one has substance, the other doesn't have substance. Again, Part of what it means to be blessed is that by being connected to God, by being connected to the water source, 
beget substance to withstand whatever wind of life or whatever adverse winds that may come our way. And so again, we see this in Psalm 92, that the psalmist says that the righteous are like a palm tree that flourishes. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of God. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will bear fruit at an old age. They will stay fresh and green. Why? Because they are connected to their source. And so the psalmist again presents us with this question. In addition to the first question, are you blessed because you have things? Are you blessed because in the eyes of the world, people are looking at you and saying, this guy is walking in accordance with our counsel? Or are you blessed because you are delighting in the law of God? And then he asks us again, are you blessed because you are immovably fixed to God? Is that affecting the substance of your life? Or are you being blown away by, by the winds and different things that happen in the world? True blessing is thriving in the face of adverse circumstances. True blessing is prevailing in the face of things that happen to us. And then lastly, we see in verses 5 to 6 that true blessing is having God's approval. It says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So the image we find here is the image of a courtroom. Um, there's, there's, there's a judge and there's an accused person. And then the judge walks in to give his judgment over what the accused person had done or not. And then ultimately the judge finds the accused person guilty and sentences the person accordingly. Now, in that context, that wicked person or that accused person did not stand in the judgment. So he's not necessarily talking about position. He's talking about whether this person has been justified or not. In this context, the person is declared guilty. And so we see again, like we just read in, in verse um, 4, that the reason why the wicked are blown away is that they don't stand up on the day of judgment. They, they do not prevail on the day of judgment. But then we see again that the assembly of the righteous exists only for one reason. If we look at the, the latter part of verse 5 and the uh, first part of verse 6, it says, it is not merely, um, it says, nor no sinners in the assemblies of, of the righteous, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. So we find that it's not just because the righteous are not righteous people because they are doing some things that, not just because they are doing some things that the wicked people aren't doing. It's not just because they are delighting in God's law and the wicked people are not delighting in God's law. It's not just because they are immovably fixed to their, their source and the wicked people are not. But it is because there is one who is watching over them. The righteous exist not because of what they do, not because of what they are, not because of what they have, but because of whose they are. And the word translated knows or um, watches over in that context is a word that signifies a personal and intimate union. It signifies that there is a connection between one party and the other. And so again, if you've, um, if you've ever heard the, the old King James term for 
when a man sleeps with his wife, is that same word again? No. That, so you hear something like, Adam's, Adam knew Eve and she had Cain. It, it shows that there is a deep and intimate connection between one particular category of people that does not exist between the others. And so it's not because God does not have an idea of the wicked or because God does not um, um, know the way of the wicked, that the way of the wicked perishes. But rather it's because the wicked don't have a personal, deep, intimate relationship with God. And so one group has God's approval, the other group doesn't have God's approval. And so we, again, we, we need to be honest with ourselves that the psalmist is not discussing our prayer life. He's not discussing our devotional life. Because I know at least personally that I don't always delight in God's law. Many times I just double there and double out. I don't feel the way I feel when I'm taking ice cream or my favorite food, sometimes when I'm reading the Bible. I feel like this thing does, just doesn't make any sense. But Pastor Femme is going to ask me, so I better do it. And we have to be honest with ourselves so that that is how we feel many times. We don't want to delight in God's law. We want to look at, we look at people that we see on social media and say, why can't I have this lifestyle? Why can't I be like this person? Why can't I go down this path? And so, we are not really the righteous. We are more like the wicked. Because the righteous is not someone who mostly delights in God's law. He's not someone who is mostly like a tree planted by a riverside, and then on other days he has these bad days. But the righteous person is the person who always delights in God's law. He's the person who always stays fixed to their water source. That's not us, brothers and sisters. That is not us. But there was one who always delighted in God's law. There was one who always stayed immovably fixed to God as their source. There was one who has always had God's stamp of approval. And so in Psalm 40, verses 6 to 8, the counselor tells us about one who ultimately fulfilled this yearning in the passage. Psalm 40, verse 6 to 8 says, Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is written within my heart. This person was Jesus. Every single day of his life, he lived always delighting in God's law. He was always fixed to God as his source. And he always had God's approval. And so on the cross, Jesus Christ died the death that was due to those who are headed on the way of destruction so that we could have the life and the benefits that he ultimately should have had. You see, true blessing is being connected to God, delighting in God always, trusting in what Christ has accomplished for us so that we are free and enabled to delight in God always, free and enabled to stay connected to God as our source, free and enabled to always have God as God's stamp of approval over our lives. True blessing is not just in what we acquire, but true blessing is recognizing whose we are and what we have because of what Christ has done for us. And so this should affect how we pray. 
This should affect our motivations. This should affect us in the way that we set our alarm clocks or whatever adjustments we have to make to our schedules to plan to pray. Again, one of the things we've always said is that if you don't plan to pray, you will not pray. Many times we just go around our schedules um, and then there's a five-minute window and then you remember, ah, I've not planned to pray, and then you, you, you slot that in. But the counselor tells us this morning that because there is one who has ultimately fulfilled all that we could never do, there is one who is truly the blessed man who has died in our stead, we are free and enabled to do all that we ought to do because he has accomplished for us. And so we come to the place of prayer knowing that we are not trying to overcome God's reluctance. Many times we come to prayer as if God is not on our side and then we are trying to persuade him to come and be on our side so that we can do what we need to do, accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. But like Martin Luther, the German reformer, says that prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. Prayer is laying hold of God's willingness. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. Prayer is laying hold of God's willingness. We trust that Christ has done all for us, and so we come boldly before God to receive all that he has for us. And so the next time we are praying for blessing, let's know that we are praying for a delight in God's word. We are praying that God will give us affections that correspond to the things that we say, not just to say things, but to do things that fit with what we say. That God will make us a people that the very way we feel when we are taking ice cream or whatever favorite food we feel or whatever our best experience is, Disney World or whatever, that is the very same way we feel when we come before God's word. Let's know that next time we are praying that God should bless us or asking for God's blessing. We are asking that God will make us people who are immovably fixed like a tree that is planted by the water. That we don't just want to dabble in and out when we feel like or when our battery, our spiritual battery is low and then we come and then get recharged. But that we want God to do such a powerful work in our lives that all the time and always we are connected to God, staying close to God because we recognize that there is no flourishing in our lives. There is no eternal significance. There is nothing that we can do except he helps us. And so we, we, we very much resonate with the words of Jesus that apart from me, you can do nothing. It is because we have not recognized that God alone is our source. That's why we feel that we can dabble and do things without God's help. It's because we think that God alone is not enough, or we, we often think of God as our last resort when everybody else has failed, when all our connections have failed. And then we suddenly remember, ah, I've not prayed, though. And then you ask God. But rather, when we delight in God, when we recognize that it is God who is our source, we recognize that He alone is the first and only point of call. And then finally, next time we pray for blessing. Let's know that we are praying to realize more that we have God's approval. Not, that, not because we can bring anything to the table, but because Jesus Christ has brought everything to the table. And so it's like the story of um, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan, who had died um, during a war. And David, who became king, recognized that there is, I, I need to do something for the house of Saul because of Jonathan. And so 
he asked, if there, is there anyone still remaining from, from the house of Saul? And he was told, oh, there's Mephibosheth, but he's, he's, he's crippled in both feet. But David called him to his palace and said, because of your father, you are going to join me on the king's table. All that you need for the rest of your life is going to be provided for you. Brothers and sisters, we are Mephibosheth. Jesus Christ, the true king, is the one who died in our stead. And God looks at us and says, look at these crippled people. They are going to be helpless for the rest of their lives. But because there was truly one who died in their stead, who fulfilled all that they could never do, I'm going to adopt them and call them to the table so that they can be in my presence always and all that they need for the rest of their lives will be supplied and given to them. Let's know that when we come before God, we are not coming because we can bring anything to the table, but because all that we need has already been brought to the table in Christ. And so the counselor calls us this morning that there are only two ways. There is the path of true blessing that lasts eternally, and there is the path of fake blessing that blows away when the adverse wind comes and ultimately leads to destruction. Let's choose wisely this morning. And let's come boldly before the throne of grace to receive grace and help in time of need. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, O oh God, again for this passage. We ask, O oh God, Lord, that beyond what has been said this morning, Lord, that you do mightily and powerfully in our lives so that, Lord, we might live in constant dependence upon you, recognizing, Lord, that you alone are our source, you alone are our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, Love people, love Lagos.